Hi everyone, you are back once again with the Zenith. This is another episode of the Spirit Channel, and today my lovely guest is Tisa. Tessa. Tessa, Tessa. Caught <laughs> myself at the last minute. Oh gosh. Tessa Lord. So Tessa is a spiritual author, artist, and activist, lifelong Yoda, yoga and meditation practitioner practitioner. So what I have actually wrote here is from she part of the Caribbean and recovering addict to we are all one and everything is sacred. Tisa embraces the craziness of life and has a laugh doing it. She's an environmentalist, podcast host, consciousness revolutionary by love and author of four books. And so everyone, this is Tisa Lord. Tisa, very, very warm welcome. We're going to have to send you back to like practice Tezza. Tezza, Tezza, apologies. And it's a spiritual name. Tezza. I know. I'm very, I'm very like possessive about my Z. Tezza, Tezza. Tezza. Yeah. There we go. Tezza, Tezza, Tezza. Tezza. <laughs> Tezza, very, very warm welcome. Thank you so much Thank for you. correcting me. Please correct me at any stage. My memory is not great at all. Uh oh. <laughs> well, that's okay because you, there's a lot to think about and to be in every single moment. I think all of us are really filled with so much so the important stuff sticks with like yeah, I don't know. i'm finding it very i'm finding it it's a challenging day for some reason i don't quite know um i must be a lot of kind of energy whatever about so i'm not quite too sure what's well, going the moon on. the moon was very very big a couple yes, nights and ago. it was it was a full moon there um when was it just two days ago it was the buck moon i think and there was so a comet at least over here in the states there was a comet right okay. And I just couldn't fall asleep. This was like two nights ago, and I kept thinking, "What? What's going on? Did I have coffee? No. Where did I have caffeine? Because I just usually have no trouble falling asleep, but I kept having this energy surging through me, and I was not aware of the fact what the moon was doing. I was kind of out of touch with the cosmic right. that day. But the That's moon really knocking on my door, saying, "Wake up." <laughs> That's really interesting because I had the exact same problem. I think maybe that's what the problem is. I did not sleep uh, very much two nights ago. So I think yeah, I'm. That's I'm what it of, was. Yeah. Yeah. Full moon. They called it a super moon or something. Yeah. I somehow I missed it because I've been doing other things. And there was a comet, at least here. And everybody the next day said, oh, did you did you vibe into it? I said, oh, maybe that's why I couldn't sleep until way, way, way past my bedtime. Yeah. Normally, I would pay attention. I mean, sometimes I would set my intentions. I think it's important to do that. It's an old kind of practice or whatever, but it's also a very spiritual practice where you set your intentions for the next month by the light of the full moon. But like yourself, I just completely missed it. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we can't beat ourselves up if we miss a full moon <laughs> because there's always the next full moon we can, you know, find yeah. out. Uh, what what day it's going to be but I think it's very important when you're doing spiritual work to be very kind to yourself and you know we do the best we can but if we can't do all the practices if we can't be at yeah. every single ritual if we can't know every single word or diagram or symbol we, it's okay because there's yeah. so much I think sometimes we, we get caught up in, in ritual and symbolism and stuff like that too much and we think oh i'm not doing things right if i haven't done this sometimes it's just important to just be just express yourself rather than get caught right. up in i must do mm -hmm. this i must do that i've learned that a lot myself as well i haven't got this meditation done i haven't went out and you know 
give my love to the sun or the creator or whatever else, whatever alert kind of things I do. And then sometimes they go, just be, you yeah. know, be. overthink things, just be, be in the yeah. moment, just express yourself. Yeah. So anyway, enough about me, Tisa. What yeah. about you? You said Tisa again. Every time you say Tisa. Oh, I told you this. You're just going to have to correct me. I need to write it down. Tezza, Tezza, like Write it down with a couple Zs. T-E-Z-Z. So the reason I'm kind of obsessed about my name is because it is my given name to myself when I reached a certain place in my life where I was aware enough that the name I was using previously was not me and that I had evolved and I had shed that skin, which was a pretty negative skin, and when I felt released from it, I said, oh, I'm going to mark this as a special occasion. And this was 40 years ago and, and changed my name to Teza. And so I legally changed it. And I, you know, basically told everybody the only person who insisted on calling me by my old name was my mother. And she sent me this envelope. It was a very fat envelope. I said, oh, oh what's going to happen? I open it up. And there's a mirror and it says, take a good look at yourself, Linda, which was my name. I right, said, okay. oh my God, poor mother. But she, she passed away at the age of 97 and I must give her credit toward the end of her life. She finally started calling me Tezza. <laughs> well, was- I hope that, um, I hope when I eventually, as we were talking about just before the show went live, I hope eventually when I adopt the Zenith as my legal name that people will eventually come around it but i think like yourself i'm in for quite a long wait for for people to start addressing it especially family yeah i mean you have to insist on it actually um name change is a sacred thing it's not just a whim i mean most people don't change their names every week every month every year it usually really means that you're feeling like you're evolving it's it's a very personal statement and so you must sanctify it by insisting that other people call you by it. Okay, my mother, I let off the hook. But everybody else, <laughs> I did correct them. And my husband of 30 years, he knew me as my previous name. And um, when I changed it, we were not yet married. And so he heard about it you know, through mutual friends. And he thought, oh, that's really an interesting thing. I wonder what the story is. And, so, of course, when we finally did meet, because he knew me my, by my old name, which was not the Linda that I mentioned. I used to go by my surname, which was Bates, a good old English okay. name. And all my Spanish-speaking friends called me Batez, Bateza, and that's where Teza came from. Right, Bateza okay. Instead of Bates. So when I first met my husband, he said, okay, you got to tell me, how did you evolve to be from Bates to Teza? I said, well, it really means Bates Bates. <laughs> and in Espanol, Teza is Bates. <laughs> so yeah. names, uh, stories, you know, whether we're talking about spirit or symbols or the evolution of our civilization, stories are the essence of how we bring them into our cells. They become part of our being rather yeah, than yeah. just listening to a book or you know, reading a book or listening to somebody lecture. I mean, when we make a story, it really sets in. I do believe that's why the Bible is so important because it tells stories and people really relate to, to the parables. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're you're a hundred percent right. And I I actually do a lot of it. I was saying too, the more Z people that we get, um, the the better. I think. Um, there must be something about the Z, the Z letter, the the Z symbol, that seems to attract people. Zorro. <laughs> the action so, yeah. Zorro. <laughs> so yes, Teza. Teza. Yeah, Teza. Oh my God! Oh, I know you better write it down. T I, I have, I have, but I can't find a way to spell it. Teza. Teza. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Okay, so okay. Mm, you're gonna have to call me Ms. Lord. <laughs> I know. I, I don't yeah. have any idea why this is happening. Well, anyway, you know, okay. In America, we had these funny old candies. They were called Pez. Pez. And Pez. so a lot of people they have trouble with my name. They say. I never heard of such a name. Where'd you? How can I remember that? He said, "You remember those funny little candies, the Pez? Did you have that candy?" Yes, I know Pez. Spencer, so you yeah. know the Pez, the game, the the, the candy. You, you, it comes in a little thing like that. And so instead of Pez, I'm a Tez. Pez. I know. It even it even sounds very much like Tesla, but for some reason it just will not take root in my mind. I must. Yeah. Or yeah. some people call me Tesla. Tesla, like a short, a funny version of Tesla, but the big difference is that Z, you know, that that Z is so important because Tesla is S, and yeah. you know, they, they call that sibilating, like a snake, and but the Z is it's more like a B. So there's a, it's funny, you know, the sound and the resonance. Yeah. I'm into chanting. I do a lot of chanting, and I work with crystals. The resonance, the vibration of things is really important. So the name, but that's okay if you don't mind me. Just if you if you mess it up again, I'll just have to. Yes, just keep correcting me. I wish you were here. To, I wish you were here to hop, slap me on the wrist every time. Okay. My, okay. Yeah. My Hopefully, I'll remember it, Tessa. Yes. Yeah, so you, um, you just Tessa, said it. I know. So yeah. Anyway, enough about me and that thing. More more yeah, about, about you. How you came to be because. You know, I was reading that um, you left America, you know, because, and I kind of identified you never felt comfortable with yourself. You never felt comfortable in your own kind of skin and in society and stuff like that. And you were always searching for something. You were this kind of mysterious um, quality that you couldn't quite find until eventually you discovered love. But up until that point, I know that you'd left and you went away to the West Indies for 10 years so i'd love to hear more of that story well i had to leave because in america there was the vietnam controversy the war i was anti-war i hated the materialism i still do i'm anti-materialism i recycle i compost you know i use things this shirt is probably 25 years old <laughs> you know, like, oh, wow. I, I know i i really believe that people just buy too much yeah. Okay, our our economy is based upon, you know, whatever, consumerism, but it's a shame because the more we're into materialism, the further away we are from our spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that has a lot to do with what's happening in the world right now, why there is a crisis, why there is this, like, showdown of the OK Corral, we say, here from the West. It's like just the material world versus the spiritual world. And so for me, I had to leave because otherwise I was going to probably pick up a gun and start shooting because I was very disturbed about the war. And so I went to live 
in a in like really third world situations because I wanted to live more primitively. I wanted to live in places that didn't necessarily even have what we're so used to: hot water, mm. you know, easy and even TV. I lived basically uh, in a jungle situation. I went to Dominica, which is smack dab in the middle of the Caribbean. I had an inter-island shipping of vegetables and fruits called uh, the Better Roots and Fruits Company. Wow. We're using, you know, uh, native people who I helped organize into farms, uh, cooperatives, which they had not done before because that particular island was a true dictatorship and it was very oppressed. The people were very oppressed at that time. And I came along and lived in a dictatorship. Uh, and so when I came back to the States, I said, if anybody's unhappy about the way things that they think the government is here in America, go live somewhere else and really experience what the rest of the world is. And I still say that today. I mean, people who really want to complain instead of embrace that we're all in this together, we're evolving together, we're experimenting with life. If they want to complain and just put a negative slant on things, go somewhere else to live and experience what it's like. So for me, I also had a lot of trauma in my childhood. And I also, along with all that wonderful adventure spirit I had, I was a true blue addict. And so I had addiction and alcoholism and bad behaviorism and being attracted to bad boyism, <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you name it. I had every ism <laughs> that was self-destructive. So my story is, is twofold. Like most recovering people, there was before recovery and there was after recovery. So I, I came into uh, the spiritual life of being absolutely without drugs and alcohol and discovering that didn't need them to get as high as I wanted to be, which was to experience the ultimate in life's um, possibilities. If I, if I could learn how to fly, I would like to do that. But of course, I'm not going to jump off a building and kill myself to do that. But now I can fly. I mean, even like you see with this painting behind me, I, a, lot of my, a lot of my work is disembodied people who are comfortable in their spirit bodies. And they don't need clothes. Like you, we were talking earlier, we don't need that many clothes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they don't need makeup and they don't need identities and they don't need even gender or politics or religion. They need to just be in their essence, which to me is the spiritual essence. And so when I discovered that, then I felt strong enough to come back to the States. And, and therefore I could go, I went from the primitive life of living in a jungle smack dab into the middle of the biggest jungle in the world, New York City, <laughs> where I was really scared yeah. because, uh, you know, when you live in a place where everybody greets each other, good day, good afternoon, good evening, and you go to live in a city where people are walking around like this, you know, and they don't make eye contact. They have to protect themselves because if you make eye contact, you're probably inviting some crazy person to talk too much or, you know, act out. And so my story began with embracing my spiritual sober life. And that's when I became Tezza. 
Lovely Tazza. Lovely Tazza. Tazza, Tazza. Oh, there you go. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, your, your story is just kind of, um, without kind of diminishing it in any way, it's just uh, what I've kind of found throughout life is just um, symptomatic and very common amongst spiritually minded people before they awaken. You know, I think I was talking a lot about this, about the concept of like, wander or star seed of like that or these kind of old souls that they don't necessarily fit in with this vibration um because they have no idea about spirituality and they're always seeking something and they it's like a niche on your back that you can't scratch you know the as you were talking about the this, itch, like, yeah the itch yeah. rejection of material life and nothing seems to satisfy you and unless you awaken spiritual spiritually then I think you seek to drown those feelings and that itch in drugs and in alcohol. I know, and I've talked about this myself, it's been part of my journey, so, so many people. And I guess when you mm -hmm. wake actually, this is what you've been searching for your entire life, you know? Well, it alters our consciousness, doesn't it? Drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and behavior of, you know, drama. People, people sometimes get off on being angry because it, it pumps the adrenaline. I know many people who are anger addicts or um, they just can't, you know, believe that their mind is capable of shifting from whatever rut they got themselves into for whatever reason. They have mommy, daddy to blame. They have the government. They have taxes, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the pandemic. They want to blame, blame, blame. They don't realize that we are totally the creators of our reality. And if we shift our concepts in our metaphysical organ, our mind, then we create our heaven or our hell. And if people are not happy with the hell they're in, they can shift, they can shift their minds. With help, I mean, I sought teachers. I think all of us need teachers. And I was very blessed. I, I basically was a guru junkie. I went from one spiritual teacher to the next until I finally found a teacher that just resonated with me. Every word just was true. And it was a meditation yogic uh, experience. And very deeply I became involved and did a lot of what we call purification in yoga. It's just basically eliminating the dross, the, the stuff we don't need anymore those negative mm -hmm. energies there. Sometimes they come into this life with us. It, it sometimes you can't even be said, Oh, it's because of what happened when you were three years old or oh, your daddy didn't do that. Or your mommy did that. It sometimes is just a karmic thing that we came into. And when that happens, the only way we can bust through those karmic blocks called samsaras in, in yogic parlance is to dive into them and doing it through meditation is the best way because you're it's just you and you it's you and your spirit and and you go and you bust through those obstructions and then you get to your true essence and when i did that for the final time because i was really going step by step by step of all the things that were blocking me it was very monumental. It was very, it was almost like being in a rocket ship where you're blasting off and you're going through psychic barriers that have been stopped. 
And they're not intellectual things. You can't sit there and think about them. They're actual things that you have to go into with your spiritual tools and your psyche. So when I finally felt the final release, you know, it's like opening up the heart. When the heart chakra has been opened, you're just, it's open. It's opened. And, you know, there's nothing that can shut it down again. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And I suppose um, a lot of people would say it's shadow work or inner work on yourself. You know, it's, yeah, it's covering exactly. facts of yourself that you didn't even realize about yourself. And uh, I, I can completely relate to it. And it's not an intellectual mm -hmm. process. It's a very kind of deep personal process. As you talk about, you go inside yourself and work with yourself and work with your spirit to bring these things up about yourself and begin to realize why i am the way i am you know what, what makes me tick and i think a lot of people don't understand that a lot of people are just reacting aren't they just like they're, they're well this is just me this is just how i am without actually opening themselves up and asking the question why am i the way i am yeah well a lot of people don't want to take responsibility that they are totally the creators of their reality so the people who want to blame like for instance either society or the way they were raised or the church or the lack of or whatever or the poverty or the fact that we were an oppressed country whatever it goes on and on they truly have not yet opened up their consciousness we call it awakened to the fact that everything is the way we perceive it and so Okay, if, we're, if I'm an oppressed person, if I'm in an oppressed country, I have no, no money, I have no opportunities, but yet I know this, that I am the creator of my own reality. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside of life. It could be really horrendous. But on the inside, I have this awareness. I have this connection. And I'm okay. I'm in bliss. I have reached that place where like we're born, you know, as children, as, as infants, we all come into this world as pure beings straight from the source. And we can create that again in our lifetimes. We don't have to wait until the minute that we're ready to leave our bodies, go back to the source. Those of us who really desire that, to achieve inner peace or call it enlightenment or whatever, awake yeah. souls we we can work for that we can work to achieve that step by step you know peeling off the negativity the shadow work is a really good way of, of explaining it in in modern psychology terms and um jung probably is the one who who is credited with talking about the shadow and jung of course carl jung he's he's the one who really explored his inner life yeah. by barricading himself in a room many times and just going deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, actually doing paintings and drawings besides writing about it. Uh, I think it's called the Red Book that he's, right, okay. the family has recently, just within the last couple of years, made it public because they right. thought, oh, if we, the Young family, the estate of Young said, if we let the world see where Carl Jung went with his explorations of who he truly is, they were afraid uh, people would discredit him and his wonderful contribution to the science of psychology. 
because mm -hmm. a lot of what he did was not science <laughs> it was metaphysical exploration yeah yeah, yeah that was uh jung was credited with um bringing the concept of the archetypes i think yeah public awareness mm -hmm. um that system of archetypes i've heard it somewhere else before in this kind of very famous channeled work um i don't really understand it but in that famous channel work they talk about the tarot as not a way of fortune telling but a way of working with archetypes mm -hmm. um, and i think my understanding is that we all inhabit archetypes at one point or another and it's a way of understanding of working through archetypes is a way of understanding our personality types and our, our 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 i guess our way of being and transcending these kind of archetypes mm -hmm. that, that sounds good yeah i mean i think also in our dreams they appear mm -hmm. and and we could awaken and say whoa what did that mean and there are universal references like we were talking earlier before the recording started about snakes and how the <laughs> kundalini is a very scary thing for people who don't understand that it's about the eternalness of energy or spiritual energy. And if people don't understand that symbolism, that archetype, they would say, oh, you know, it's the Adam and Eve, it's the serpent, it's like evil. No, <laughs> way, way, way more deep than that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a way of having our a uh, language, a commonality, you know, the psychic language that we can all understand. And through it's our dreams, much, we're connected. Yeah, it's very much understood, misunderstood, let me say, and in a lot of kind of spiritual practices. I hear so many people, you know, talking about and so many people offering this, oh, you know, I can help awaken your Kundalini or I'm going for a Kundalini awakening. My understanding, and I don't know if you would agree with us here, is it's it's not something that can happen overnight or even in a year or two. It's something that you potentially have to work with throughout mm. your life. Well, the first time I experienced it, it knocked me out, literally. Okay. Um, somebody, I'm a yoga person. I love yoga. I have done it ever since a teenager because I have scoliosis. So I'm so blessed that my body was crooked and it forced me to explore yoga at a very early age when it was not really available and so this friend of mine was turning me on to kundalini yoga and it's a lot of breath work and i it was the first time i didn't even know what it had i happened all of a sudden boom i literally went unconscious and so yeah i, I was not holding my breath it was the kundalini that had been awakened mm -hmm. now whether or not I knew that at that time, or how can I sustain that incredible power that was so overwhelming that it literally knocked me out. I hadn't yet the tools to do that. But I do know many people whose Kundalini has been awakened like, like that, from the touch of a master, from the gaze of a master, from someone who has the power to awaken Kundalini and that's their job. <laughs> the Eastern yeah. people are pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah the Eastern uh, Siddhis, you know, the powers they call the yes, Siddhis. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, in my experience, it, it can take a long time for some people, especially if there's resistance, especially if their mind says, ah, I don't really believe you. 
they, they spend too much time resisting it. And then other people who had no idea, like myself, I didn't know what Kundalini was. I, I had not a clue. And all of a sudden, I'm literally on the floor waking up and say, asking my friend, well, what happened? And she said, that was the Kundalini because mm -hmm. she was teaching me this breath work that uh, awakens the Kundalini. And the Kundalini is dormant within all of us. Yeah. And sometimes people get the Kundalini awakened immediately when they've had a, a crisis, like a loved one dying. That's very common. All of a sudden, whoever it is that's close to your life is gone with no warning. It was like, that's a shock. And, and a lot of people are like frozen with the altered state of like, wow, life is like that fragile. Someone is gone. Where did they go? Who are they? Who am I? And all of these things are enough for some people's Kundalini to get awakened. Yeah. So I think everybody's different. Some people, they hear about the Kundalini awakening and they want it so badly and they keep going to different places and you'll know when it, when it is awakened. <laughs> That's what I meant is this kind of realization of it, you know, that you can go to anyone and anyone can help awaken it in you. You know, you know I think as you were saying, it's a very sacred thing. Yes, it can happen to anyone at any time, but I don't think it's something that anyone can just kind of do and anyone can just, well, I'm not a Kundalini master and I can awaken your Kundalini. So I guess what I meant was just this trivialization of it a bit. Oh, hmm. I'm not aware of people trivializing it, but I'm not in that world. You you probably speak to a lot more people than I do. I'm pretty isolated as an artist and a writer and a, a spirit activist. I don't call myself a spiritual activist because that sounds like an adjective. Oh, you're so spiritual. But I'm actively spreading spirit. So I'm a spirit activist. And in my world... There's a lot of people who don't know what the Kundalini is. And they'll look blankly like, Kundahu? And you know, the thing I'm talking about, a wrestler or something. And you know, it's just like if it's being trivialized and trivialized in certain circles, that's okay. Because with any um, way of being in the in humanity, we go one way, we go another way. It's like the pendulum shifting, and eventually it comes to equilibrium. And when a person who's working with the kundalini energy, which is called shakti, the shakti, the divine energy that comes directly from consciousness, when a person works with that, they're not going to trivialize it. Yeah. And if, just like people are trivializing the experience of psychedelics these days. I did a lot of psychedelics in my younger years. But because I was so messed up, I mean, I really, oh, my God, I needed help. Please get me out of this head. Oh, God. I didn't want to commit suicide, but I, I did want to have some peace. So I did a lot of psychedelics. And, mm -hmm. any, and for me, it was perfect because I needed push, a really big bang to get out of where I was. I mean, the brain is very similar to the computer. It's like the hard drive can go and with trauma stays on the outside of the brain. And if it's not, if it's not embedded in our deep memory cells, it can really fuck us up. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, we just uh, we get triggered and we can't get out of the trauma. So for that's why so many people are attracted to things like ayahuasca and psilocybin and MDA and all this stuff. And and I would never tell anybody not to do it, but meditation is the ultimate. It's the ultimate high. It takes you to the highest connection with your true essence and there's no like trying to be an alchemist like how much and how little and and also if you're in a place where you just want to feel connected and safe in your being you can go within you don't have to go out and find a substance what even if it's a natural substance like a mushroom growing out of a cow pie so we're also thirsty in today's world to know our divinity, to work and walk in the sacredness of our true essence. So that's why I think people are talking so much about Kundalini and the experience of, of the psilocybin and psychedelics. Yeah. What would you say um, in your experience, if any, um, would be the difference between a Kundalini awakening and a spiritual awakening? Do you think there's any difference between two? You think of no, no. the Kundalini just means that that's your spiritual yearning, which we all have, although some people deny it. But and we are humans, and this is this is our humanity. And when the Kundalini has been tickled or awakened, all of a sudden we start to ask questions. For instance. Every person, that's why the chakras are so interesting, the, the yogic chakras, they explain all this. The very first chakra is about staying alive. Mm -hmm. We breathe. We eat. And if those of you know, people like anorexic people who are not capable of eating enough, they die or they get close to it. So you it's a very basic consciousness. You have to maintain your vitality. The second consciousness, the second chakra, is, is about the awakening of your creative force. So you're either going to procreate and, and like, you know, start making love, or you're going to have spiritual creation. That's the very second chakra. And that happens in adolescence. And so everybody in, you know, 12, 13, we start awakening and we start feeling sexual, but we also start asking those questions like, who am I? What, what are we doing here? Where did we come from, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. We all do. So if we don't have nurturing at that time, like either good parents or good influences or good books or good podcasts, <laughs> that kundalini, which is that awakening, it goes back asleep, that yearning to know. And then the sexual energy takes off and usually goes wild. But the sexual and the spiritual are very connected. So yeah. later on in life, the kundalini might knock at your door. You know, hello. Oh, no, I'm not ready for you yet. Mm -mm. No, no, this is not a spiritual world. Mm. You know, and different things will happen. And the kundalini is trying to awaken. But uh, sometimes we have to work with that yearning that itch we called it earlier some people have that itch life is just not seeming to fill me enough why do i still feel like not i can't get enough shopping i can't get enough donuts i can't get enough drugs can't get enough sex well that's the itch that's the kundalini itch 
that's wanting to wake up. And so that's when we have a choice. We can either start doing more yoga because yoga in the fact that we're working with the spine and the energy that awakens the Kundalini. That is the surefire best way because when you're working with these asanas, which are designed for arising the Kundalini and awakening it, it's a, it's a guaranteed thing. If you are having a yoga practice, your Kundalini is going to be awakened. Or you can go find a teacher, a trusted teacher, not just somebody who is out there sounding like, you know, putting sound bites out. It's something that resonates in your heart when you are working with a teacher. You, you feel totally trusting of everything they say, and you just know it's not BS. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as you were talking about the Eastern yogis and stuff like that, you know, they have a very powerful and a very ancient form of yoga, which is Kriya yoga. Kriya yoga? Mm. Kriya yoga. Uh-huh. That's yeah, just, that, you know what a Kriya is? Um, I actually, well, I know a tiny bit of it, but I'd love to hear your... Okay. Opinion. A Kriya is, we were talking about the blocks that we have to go through. Yep. A Kriya is, sometimes you see people go like this, you know, like, who are having experiences. It could be as violent as that, but it also could be like, whoa, you know, you just go through something. And a Kriya is, um, it means that you're, you're concentrating on purifying yourself and that you are working with purification techniques and disciplines even breath, pranayama, mm -hmm. being conscious of the breath will keep you mind steady and your body strong. Uh, but Kriya Yoga is, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain type of yoga. Kriya is a, is a definition, like when you do yoga, when you're doing the physical postures, that's called Hatha Yoga. Right. And yet there are some people who say, oh yeah, I go to Hatha Yoga class because they teach a certain way. Well, hatha just means physical. You're doing something with your physical body. That's all hatha means. And kriya also means that you are purposely working on getting rid of obstructions. Right, okay. Right, okay. Yeah. That very helpful. Thank you very much for clarifying. Yeah, I know, it's, it's, those are all Sanskrit words. Yeah. And Sanskrit is, a, a you know, the yoga of the oldest scriptures. Well, some people say that the Old Testament is as old as the Vedas, mm -hmm. uh, but they're pretty neck and neck. Right around the same time, everybody was awakening on the planet, whether they were of that tribe or that tribe, people were starting to write down these stories in the, in the ancient scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, it is fascinating, our, our civilization and where it's all kind of come from. Um, what I wanted to ask you about is, obviously, we see that fantastic painting behind you. And I know you've been on your website and you have some amazing paintings. Where did that come from? Because I know that you said that you attended art classes when you were searching for something. You know, Well, I'm an like, artist. Yeah, I went to art school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just kind of wondering where the imagination, the creativity comes. Was it, you know, were you always kind of drawing like that or painting like that? Or was it when you became very spiritual that your painting evolved? Hmm. Well, my very first experience with art was as a kid. I just, there's something about my soul that came in 
needing to be creative and express. And so I taught myself how to draw, you know, nothing very spiritual. I was copying Superman. <laughs> That's pretty spiritual, though. That's how I taught myself how to draw. It was a very kind of methodical way that I did it by grids, you know, separating the cartoon panels into grids. And, you know, you separate a one cartoon panel into many, many little grids, then you can copy what's in that little tiny grid. And I taught myself the relationship of space and form. And uh, then, of course, education helps enormously. And I have always been intrigued by the human body. To me, it's the, it's the highest design on the planet. I, I also was a botanical illustrator. I've done a lot of work with plants. That's how I got involved with psychedelics on such a deep level also, because we were studying them and I drew them uh, at Harvard University in the mid-60s. So my story led to, I wanted to be able to express with my hand and my making of things what I was envisioning in my imagination. And to do that, I had to have training. I had to be able to interpret, like if I'm seeing someone flying in my mind, how do I make their bodies so I don't have a model? Obviously, I'm not having a model there on a trapeze. And I also studied a lot of dance, so I know how I move. And then I had to learn how do the bones move. I had to study anatomy. I had to study the muscles. Oh, yeah. And that's actually part of the yoga training. Yoga training has to have anatomy. When you get certified, I, I was grandfathered in, meaning I just proved my training in my past. And they just gave me certification because I've been doing yoga since you know, my teens. So when you understand the way the muscles are and the bones are, then, especially with the dance uh, connection, I can just envision what I want to do in a movement and I can interpret it as a figure, a two-dimensional figure or a three-dimensional piece of sculpture. And so those are training things. It's just like when we want to train our bodies to look good, you know, we might want to take some lessons about how to develop certain muscles like the bicep. How do I get the bicep big? You know, well, you got to do this yeah. with your bicep or in, in crunches to do, you know, abs like steel, whatever. So, and then once we know those basic things, then we can almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you ever saw his, his incredible documentary, it's called Pumping Iron. I mean, he sculpted his body like as if he was God. He said, oh, I need to work on that little muscle there. And <laughs> he would just say, that little muscle needs something. So, you know, to have the tools is very important as an artist and as a spiritual person mm -hmm. and, and an artist who wants to delve into what I call the visionary. It's the, in the art world, it's called visionary art because it's it's not from this reality. It's from our dream reality, or it's surreal. It's mm -hmm. not something that we see if we walk down the street, but it is possible because it's in our mind. And to have that, you have to have this trust that what your reality is, is worthy. 
first of all, because it takes time and energy to make art. And who cares? Well, I care. And the world is starting to care more and more too. Did not so much years ago when I got laughed out of New York galleries. <laughs> but now people are really embracing, you know, the possibilities of yeah. our unlimited sources of our mind. And for somebody like myself who documents that with not only art, but writing. And all my books are illustrated. Yeah. yeah, so there's a relationship between the visual and the the literary in my world. Yeah, they're very, very striking. Some of them are incredibly beautiful, incredibly detailed. I really do love some of them, so I do. Yeah, and so uh, you've actually written four books now. Four yeah, I've just finished a fifth. Oh, really? I'm looking for a literary agent or a brave publisher because it's the first time I've done fiction and it's really an amazing story. And you, in fiction, it's just like with visionary uh, paintings. You, you can go places that you cannot go in nonfiction. And so I wanted the freedom to really express what I wanted to bring to the world in this uplifting story. It's an echo story. It's about uh, a message from the divine source who comes to help us get things straight here about the crises that we're involved in. All right, okay. Tell us a little bit about the, what, what was the thought process or what made you decide to go, well, I want to write a book and I want it to be like this. You know, ever since I was a kid, I just, I would read a book and I said, I can do this. I can even do better. <laughs> I just, it was just something I knew. But yet, when I finally got around to starting to write, I thought, wow, this is challenging. I think it's way more challenging to write than it is to be a visual artist. That's just my feeling about it. To be a visual artist, I maybe it's because I've practiced so many times and, and the tools are in within me. It's easy. It doesn't feel like I'm sweating bullets. But to express myself with words, because I think words are very fickle. Words can mean something different to you than they do to me and to every person who's reading them. And, and so to get your point across is, is more challenging. I think you have to be very particular about what sentence structure you use and the, the, the kind of voice you're using and dialogue and characters and all those things, setting. And there's so many more variables. It's, it's like mm -hmm. the difference between being a plumber and an architect. You know, like a plumber just does his job and he comes in and, you know, more power to him, but he's dealing with water. And an architect has to deal with the electricity and the, the structures and the wind and the sun and the materials and, and all that, plus the water and the sewage and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's actually just amazing that you've, you've actually sit, sat down and actually wrote four books and now you're on your fifth because... I have a blog and I do writing on it, but I, I hate writing because it takes me so long to express mm. um, something in words which I can, well, I was going to say fluently, perhaps not quite fluently, but mm. I can express much quicker. And, 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 and as you say, it takes in nuance, it takes on tone, it takes in all those type of things where I, I, I have to write all of that down. So I actually prefer just talking now rather than writing. So I don't know that I have the patience to to actually sit down and write a book. 
know, I've I've thought about it because obviously I, I blog and I've done so much writing, but I think the the the, the process of actually sitting down writing is is just is, is beyond me. So for someone to have written four books now on their fifth is is quite amazing. Yeah. So you know, here's a trick. <laughs> I love to communicate with my inner spirit. Uh, you know, some people call it channeling or mediumship, and I I do that by typing. I, I happen to be able to type as fast as I can think. Wow. So therefore you have to learn the tools. I started typing when I was, you know, before I did yoga. So I started typing and I, I got my speed up because I transposed books. I, I was working with the botanical people and I actually wrote up whole PhDs, thesis. Which, so I'm, I could type as fast as I think. And then I learned to communicate with my inner guide which some people call their angel or just their connection to cosmic consciousness. Mm -hmm. and, and I do it very ritualistically. I, I, I say, okay, I'm intending to ask a question because it's always good to have a question. And I, and I don't start responding until I feel this, this like surge of energy come over me. And then I put my fingers on the, on the keyboard and let me just put them up here. So and I literally go like this. I type as fast as I can just get it out and not thinking about like T's and I's and commas and grammar, just like letting the, the message come out. And then when I feel, <sighs> and then I, you know, it's almost like you're in a trance. Then yeah. you come out and say, oh, what have I written? And then you see and you go over it. And of course, if it's for the public, then you can spruce it up and make it more grammatically correct and add a few words here and there. But if it's just for a private guidance, mm -hmm. it's always truthful because our inner guide knows. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. don't have to go to a psychic. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to actually just talk about that process. It's for me with the, the stuff that I've kind of written, the inspirational messages that I get. I think it, you know, in the beginning, it can almost be like, well, that's just my own kind of mind writing this down. But when you sit back and take stock of it, then you begin to realize that did not come from me. That that that's not my own kind of thoughts. And it's quite amazing to see that process, really. But you're right; it's almost like this force or will is almost imposed upon you and you just feel that you need to get the words out yeah it's a, yeah it's a beautiful process i actually was just writing something today and it, it sort of sounds a bit like fiction but i kind of been around long enough to know that it's not fiction that it's it's a it's a story from from whatever you want to call that it was, it was third part of a story called um seeking the face of god and I'd left it for a while and thought I'll come back to it today and kind of just went, well, I have no idea where to start about this, but I just sat there for a while and just the words just flowed and they just came rushing out and I was just, oh my God, I couldn't get it down fast enough. But as you turn around and say, it's, 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 you have to be able to type and I can't really type. I'm kind of big fat sausage fingers and I always make mistakes. I got the biggest hands in the world. <laughs> but, um, you know, what you were starting to say was, how can you trust that? Mm -hmm. And that's the ego. The ego is that part that says, to, how can I trust the stuff that's coming out of me? And I think we all have to test 
our connections with the the source, the source of the universe, consciousness, pure love. And we must test it in order to trust it. It's just like with a person. If we decide we're going to marry somebody, we don't just we, we put them through little tests, see how they'll do, with, you know, with the mom and you know, on a trip or you know, what kind of, you know, you test people before you trust them. Right. We do. And so we should trust our inner self implicitly, but we it's a human thing to to be mistrustful. And so when we get to the place through trial and error and having gone through tests where we can actually trust these things that come out of us spontaneously and that is the kundalini that is our connection with our spirit that is not programmed from culture gender race nationality that's pure consciousness when we trust it then that's when the flow happens the, the creative flow the flow of feeling connected mm -hmm. yeah and many people well i guess i always talk about this idea that you know where inspiration actually comes from and i think that quite a lot of our work a lot of our so-called fiction and even kind of non-fiction um is divinely inspired and that i just don't think a lot of people realize that um, I think that's a lot of where our information comes from. People think that it's their own idea and their own concept. And I think it's divinely inspired where these ideas and information come from. Would it would divine spark? Is that what divinely you're saying? Inspired. Dividing. Div divinely inspired. Oh, divinely inspired. See, that's a that's a taser. <laughs> a divine yes. That would that would really that's when you feel you feel it when something is divinely inspired. I'd like to think that that's my work. Yeah. And, and, I, and I have had trouble being accepted by the publishing mainstream because I've been trying to get legitimately published for you know decades. And people said, well, the world is not ready for this. We, how, how many sales can you make? Well, you know, the legitimate publishers are only interested in how many sales. But somebody who is interested in communicating especially if that divinely inspired communication comes from beyond where we're consciously thinking about, then it doesn't matter what the sales are. It's, it matters that we create this bridge, this, this connection. And we have to do that by bringing it out into the world. And that's why it's so wonderful, the digital age, because look how many of us are connecting Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in Ireland. I'm in Florida. I mean, this is a miracle. We are living miracles because the divine connection was some technology geeks who invented, you know, these methods, yeah. along with all the other things like the, the space uh, telescope that's out there right now, James Webb, which is taking pictures of parts of the universe that have never, ever been imagined I mean, the, the stuff that we are capable of is phenomenal. It's unlimited. And, and that's what happens when we get rid of the restrictions and we allow the energy to just move. You know, that's the Kriya, the Kriya, the movement of the energy. Yeah. yeah. I think we're, we're kind of moving into this age that has been foretold um, prophesies for a long long time we were talking about indigenous cultures and stuff like that and how mm -hmm. the myths and so-called legends have been dismissed by you know what mainstream and science but, but 
there's definitely a lot of information to, to suggest that we're kind of moving into a very kind of new age. And I think that um, just as we were talking about, these technologies are helping us to, to form bridges, to make relationships. We are putting down new pathways and highways. You know, we're interconnecting, we're interlinking, we're networking, I guess. Um, and it, to me, it seems to be this kind of forerunner to um, a more kind of uh, what we might call enlightened telepathic type of society. Why not? Anything's possible if, if people can just like be open to it. Anything is possible. I don't know because uh, we're right in the middle of the story. <laughs> I mean, I certainly have experienced being able to communicate with people just by how we look like for instance i i love to be on a, a podcast people ask me i look at the pictures because i i'm a sensitive person of of visual training i can pick up the energy that's transmitted with graphics or images that people choose and you zenith zenith i saw your coming out video and I thought, oh, this guy's cool. <laughs> He's finally letting it out of the of the bag, who and what he is. And just the yeah. way you did it was so cute. <laughs> Thank you very much. It pops up on my YouTube channel all the time. And I uh, it stopped. I never watch any of my stuff back. But yeah, um, it's cute though. It's very endearing. If I hadn't seen that, I might have thought, oh, you know. Yeah. It, it endeared me to you. So so that was a, a way of of you know, not not this much telepathically, but being honing our sensitive psychic yeah. tools that we all have, and to be able to communicate in a pure way without the ego directing us. Yeah, and and I think that that's happening more and more. Yes, and people who are stuck and and like I ran into a friend earlier in the grocery store. He was saying, oh, I think it's terrible. The end times are coming. I said, that's not the way I see it. I mean, that's just what you're buying into. And he was like dumbstruck because, you know, there's some bad juju happening right now in politics here in America. And a lot of people are upset. And to me, it's just like more BS from the politics. And what has that got to do with my spiritual harmony? How am I feeling today connected to this incredible, unlimited power that I have the ability to, to recognize and to work with? Well, I'm not going to let it ruin my beautiful day. Yeah. One thing that just came to mind there um, was obviously, you know, during COVID and during um, Trump's presidency, I found that a lot of people got caught up in that narrative, even spiritually minded people caught up in that trump narrative and that whole queue and uh, stuff and all that kind of stuff and i had a lot of people trying to convince me you know to, to kind of follow that for me it, after a short period of time it just didn't feel right for me it didn't feel right and i found a lot of people as i said even people who i thought should have known better got caught up in that on their mindset and their attitude change they became resentful um and this kind of separation, you know, occurred between mm -hmm. us. And I kind of backed away from it. I said, it doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. I concentrate on me, on my own development. Mm -hmm. um, rather than 
caught up in this idea of them and us, them and us. And it just speaks a, yeah. a lot to what you're talking about. Um, a lot of people were kind of looking for a savior type of thing through through that kind of era. Some people, I guess, still are. But for me, I guess you probably agree with this here, is that the savior that we're looking for is our own sales. We have to concentrate on our own sales. Well, we're definitely in crises mode. And crises, some people think that's terrible. It's end times. We're going to die. For me, having gone through a crisis, which brought me to my spiritual sober life, which any addict will tell you, you don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll stop doing drugs and alcohol. You know, it doesn't happen that way. You have to have a bottom, they call it, or a crisis or your world just falls apart. And some people even kill themselves because they've come to the end of their tether. Well, in society, it's like the, it's the macrocosm of the microcosm. We, we are the little societies of our own being. And out there is the, the macrocosm. And yes, there is a crisis going on, especially here in the States. And, and I don't know how much the rest of the world, because I, I do read the news. I don't want to be ignorant. But yeah. the crises are good because crises will force us to look at how did we get here? And I believe that there's going to be more and more and more awakening because of the crises, because people are so discontent and they realize that politics is not going to answer anything except who's going to be governing that can change at any time. And, and so the people who look at politics as their spirituality or their religion, they're in bad shape. They're yeah. really suffering. And good, they should suffer because maybe it'll make their kundalini awaken. And maybe they'll say to themselves, oh, there's got to be something more. Yes, there is a heck of a lot more than politics. There is just the connection of, you know, our inner energy. And once we work with that energy, everything is possible. You mean huge shifts like inventions and movements and, and spontaneous awakening and an engaged consciousness will happen more and more. And it already is. The young people are so different than the old fuddy duds <laughs> like myself. <laughs> Although <laughs> they relate to me because uh, I'm not too much of a, a fuddy dud when it comes to the possibilities of life. I don't, I don't do politics. I do vote, but I don't do politics. And mm. our podcast, we didn't talk about my podcast. It's called the no, Lord. My husband is a political animal and my husband is a born again Christian. And that may sound like a disparity, but it makes for a very interesting, not only marriage, but conversation about issues. Yeah, because, I was listening to it today. Yeah, the one thing that we have in common is we are totally in love with spirit. That is our commonality. And and so uh, did you listen to the one that I did by myself? Because he's gone on I, a trip. I, I listened to the most recent one, and I heard you, you, you conversing back and forward in it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. Because I, I did one the other day by myself. When he's not around, I, I ex, extrapolate <laughs> my thoughts. Um, so it's, you know, the, to have conflict is good. It's healthy. If we all lived in a, oh, yes, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great? Everything is so perfect. That is not reality. 
I mean, we're here because of the the yin and the yang and the dark and the light and the evil and the angelic and it's that's the that's the game of life. It's beautiful when you see that it's a balanced thing. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it does. Um, I've talked about this. It's it's good to have discussions. It's good to disagree because it can force you then to reevaluate your own position. Yes. You know, well, does my opinion or my beliefs still stand up to scrutiny? Um, so I, I definitely do agree with that. But I also wanted just to talk about the transformative power of love because I know that's something that you're very much interested in and it resonates throughout my work. And it's, um, I guess for me, uh, it just kind of woke up one day and um, this beautiful song was going through my mind when I was still sort of dreaming. I wasn't dreaming, I was in that kind of state between dreaming and awake. And, these like almost fireworks of light were going through my head and I just began to listen to songs about love and hear them in different ways which I'd never understood before um, and it just opened up this whole possibility this love which is about the heart chakra opening up and for me it's this expression of love that we need to work into and just what you were talking about we can change our mindset at any time that we want and um, to you ask where is the love where is the love in this moment and something that i've wrote about called the moment contains love whereas each and every moment can be filled with love it's just about the way that you express your mind and the way that you express your consciousness instead of falling into negative politics and mainstream media we can express love and i was wondering could you talk a little bit about that yeah well it may sound too simple to most people but i believe that spirit is simple and to be in that state of mind is simple and it is a matter of just choosing to be in that state of mind and for me love is a word that has many, 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 many meanings and connotations. It is, in the way I use it, the opposite of fear. It's a state of being. And fear is a state of being. You cannot be in both at the same time. You either have to choose or, for those who are not conscious yet, have not awakened to the fact that they do control their own reality, they are the masters of their own existence. People who say, oh, but I, I can't be any other way because this and this, this they, don't, they are still victims of the circumstances. They have not yet chosen to be in the state of the divine sacred essence that they are, from which they came when they were born and to where they will one day be merged into again, like the beautiful waterfall of, of energy that Suzuki Roshi talks about in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's, it's like this waterfall of energy that love is. Love could also be called the divine, the sacred. Mm -hmm. Some people call it God. Now, if you're in a state of fear, you're contracted. And your whole being, and like you, you want to protect your heart so you can get shriveled up and you get small. And that's what some people only know because they have not 
maybe experimented with the other state. It could just be that they never ran into a teacher or another person who ignited their kundalini, which is to, to know the other side of life, the road less traveled, as, as it was so aptly put in that beautiful book. Um, so you're either in the state of fear or you're in the state of love. Now, people who are experimenting, they haven't yet trusted that, that you could totally go for it. They go back and forth. They flop back and forth. And then it's up to us individually to, to recognize. I was just doing a little video about that today for my YouTube channel. It's up to us when we recognize that we're in a negative state and to say, oh, I can't afford that if I, if I want to be expanded and in connected in connection with all that can be so it's up to us to be aware awake conscious and to say oh there's that anxiety again whatever it is not enough money not enough love not enough you know romantic love or sexual love or or you know expression or food or whatever your want is when we recognize that it's there then immediately the choice comes, ah, I don't want it. How can I get rid of it? And that's when the practice of awakening consciousness comes in, whether you use like breath work and just merge with truth through your breath, because breath is consciousness. Breath is the bridge from our lower chakras to our higher chakras. Mm -hmm. Or some people use prayer. I mean, a really good prayer is help. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good one. <laughs> you know, and, and like how much misery can a person take, you know? Well, for me, I know I went pretty far down the tubes of self-destruction. And when I was taught, by the, the rooms of recovery, the 12-step program, and different individual teachers that came into my life that I could create my own reality, then that then you start your consciousness goes through more and more and more like brightening. It gets shinier and shinier. It's like wiping the mud off of a, a lens. You know, you just keep working and you get shinier and shinier and brighter and brighter, and you see clearer and clearer that everything is love everything even yeah. what some people call bad stuff evil stuff well there could be a reason for it yeah absolutely yeah that's <laughs> absolutely i guess um i would call love an expression of the divine it's the very source of power that was used to create our reality so it's for me, it's every word, every moment. And just like that song where it says, love is in the air, it truly is because it's yeah. everything. <laughs> exactly. That's what I said. I woke up one day and I started singing that song. I don't even like that song. It made sense to me in that other song, which was, um, it, it was about love. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it everywhere. Love is everywhere. Yeah. Yes, this song means so much to me now because love is everywhere. It's a state of being, and you kind of tune your thoughts to love, and everything begins to change that for you. And once you begin to operate in that state of being, you expand your vibration. And if more people done that, then we would see transformation, I guess, on this planet. Right, 
exactly. See how simple it is? Voila. Yeah. <laughs> it is, you know, people want to complicate things, but oh no, life is not that. It's got to be way more complicated, but it's not. The choice between living in a state of love, which is to be acknowledging our divine connection to all in existence, or being in a contracted state and, and arresting any possibility of either happiness or fulfillment. I mean, that's a pretty simple choice when it's spelled out like that. And there's always going to be people who say, oh, it can't be that simple. Well, they'll find out, you know, little by little, they'll, they'll test life and they'll maybe be lucky and have a bottom and they'll say, I surrender. I surrender to wanting to control things. I'm just going to go for love. And love is the opposite of wanting to control things. Yeah. And that's a very important word, I guess, that you've used there, this idea of surrendering. Instead of trying to control the situation, just opening your arms and say, I surrender. I surrender to this process. You're not fighting against it. You're not trying to go against the current then. And things right. end up much easier in your life, I guess. Yeah, and to say, oh, no, it's got to be this way. Well, those are the people who are very, very disturbed right now. And that's what they choose, just like the friend I ran into in the grocery store. That's his reality. And he has the right. We all have free will. I'm not going to bang him over the head and say, you shouldn't be alive because you're not thinking the way I do. No, he has the right to have his opinions. And... uh and, you know, as long as it doesn't harm me and as long as he's not that close and I don't have to run into him that many times in the, in the grocery store, he can have all the opinions he wants. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's everyone's free will. And, you know, you can't bang anyone over the head with this here. If they want to know, they have to come to you to ask about it. And trying to force your views or just trying to explain to someone who isn't ready for that is, is, is counterproductive, I guess. Yes, it's just like the shocking assassination of of the the old minister, prime minister in Japan. I mean, that blew everybody's mind in Japan, especially. It was a grudge. It was a revenge killing. And people in that society, you know, okay, they, they have had uh, in the past a lot of violence with revenge and, you know, people committing uh, harikiri or whatever because of things that have been done wrong to them. But in this modern society, what that person did was uh, so shocking. And people said, this wasn't supposed to happen in J modern Japan, especially with the, its made up little gun that he put together with, you know, yeah. gorilla tape or something. But it just shows you that you cannot eradicate evil because evil is part of love. And it's like a, it's like a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. You know it can bite you and kill you, but it's a beautiful creature of God's creation. And we're not going to have it eliminated just because we're afraid it's going to bite us. Yeah, it's it's Stay like away. our <laughs> it's it's like our I've talked about this a lot. It's it's like our shadow side. It's like our dark self, our darker emotions. They're as much a part of us as the light sunny side that we tend to show to the world that shouldn't be shunned. It should be yeah. embraced because it's from that aspect of ourselves that challenges us to, to grow, that we want to 
grow past, uh, grow, how can I escape this? How can I transform? So in a way, it's actually um, giving us a gift. And so evil is the other side of love. Without that, we wouldn't understand what love is. We wouldn't understand what affection is. So rather than, as you say, try to eliminate it, it's about understanding the lessons that it's trying to show us. Yes. I mean, this world has both the joy and the sorrow and uh, and everything in between. And and we get to enjoy it all. I mean, I, I would say enjoy it by participating in it because this life itself is a gift. I mean, at the, at the moment when it's taken away, we'll come to that realization. And I, I have been with both of my parents when they left their bodies. I know for a fact what what the final story is. I mean, it's, it's quite sacred. It's quite majestic. And it's an honor. It's an honor to participate in somebody's transition to the yeah, next yeah. Uh, consciousness. And in yoga, we call it the highest consciousness. It's not death. We call it maha samadhi. Samadhi is what you yes. experience in, in meditation. But when you die, you're in maha samadhi. <laughs> Why do you think it's still so misunderstood? You know, we, we've, I should turn around and say, yoga's been around for thousands upon thousands of years. It's very well known in Eastern practices, but I guess in our, our Western societies, our, we still haven't you know, cottoned onto this here. It's looked at something that um, needs to be grieved. You know, like we're losing someone instead of this celebration of this transition to a larger life. Why do you, why do you think that is? Have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's evolving. It used to be taboo when I was a younger person. You couldn't mention, oh, not in public, not in polite society. Now, you know, we can talk about it more and more, at least in the circles I am, because I like to shock people. And so, like, for instance, if somebody has terminal cancer, I'll just say, how are you doing with your approaching journey? Or have you thought about the fact that if you stay positive, it could absolutely disappear. <laughs> Have you considered that? And I think there's enough of us awakened people. Uh, you talked earlier about this is a time where the awakening is happening. And uh, worldwide, we celebrated this event that was forecasted by the Mayan calendar and Nostradamus it was called the Harmonic Convergence. It was in 1987. I was involved in that. Artists were asked to participate. Jose Arguelles, who organized it worldwide. Since then, that was the celebration of 144,000 awakened sun dancers, which is the magic number, even in the book of Revelations in the Bible, yeah. of enough people, who of enough souls who had awakened that it was a ripple effect from then on it's just like you you can't stop the awakening it's happening <laughs> nobody can put a put a damper on it and and before that you know some people might have said oh it's just a fad this whole thing about you know what drugs and alcohol not so much alcohol but uh, the psychedelics and things like leary broad and baba ramdas and and the early pioneers of consciousness thinking being mainstream is now accepted and wherever i go people are talking about like they want to experience the sacred how can i do it 
And so they're doing these micro doses, you know, it's very popular. And you know what? Even in America, they have started to use ayahuasca rituals done very, yeah. very systematically to help uh, the vets who are trapped in PTSD with mental right. problems. And they've, they've now sanctified, the, the U.S. government has said, yep, the VA, the Veterans Administration, can help the vets who are having such mental health problems. And because of the crises of mental health being so off the, 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 the scales, and especially from the pandemic, people have been committing suicide and the youth of our country are going nuts. And some of them committing suicide by far more than they were previously. Now people are seeing that the answers are not with you know, tranquilizers and anti-anxiety pills. It's to have the experience of the sacred to initiate their kundalini awakening, is, in essence, is what they're talking about. And then, of course, once the kundalini has awakened, it's up to us, each individual, to keep that kundalini free and open and rising up and, and getting more and more expanded. And that's why my job is really obvious these days and your job too, being a podcaster. I mean, the more books, the more art, the more uh, posts, the more meditations we put out into the world, we're almost like, you know, the rescue team coming to help civilization because civilization needs us. Very well said. I have nothing further yeah. to add. That's fantastic. I know your head's going. <laughs> well, that's why, that's why you do the work you do and that's why I'm, I mean, I'm obsessed about spirit. I just think spirit is is just so, not just wonderful, but it's the answer for the troubles, the environment. I mean, I think modern spirituality is environmentalism. Mm -hmm. If one has become awakened, okay, you've taken care of your own consciousness. Now go out and help the world. We have to help people to understand about things like, you know, basic things like compost, recycle, you know, wear those old shirts that are so beautiful. You don't have to go out and keep buying things. Yeah, I, I talk about that a lot as well. I'm never, people are probably sick to death of me talking about it on my podcast and the live talks about the, the importance of nature um, and even for mental health, how nature is so, so important because it's natural. It's our natural way of being. Whereas this is the man-made, this is what causes the problems. And when you immerse yourself in nature, when you begin to understand that ecosystem, how everything is in balance, it shows you how out of alignment you are. And that's because of our way that we conduct ourselves in our modern society. So absolutely right. I can't talk about that enough and the importance of it and the importance of looking after our forests and our wildlife and all of that stuff. So Right. Yeah keep talking about it because it is true we are animals people forget that we are animals and we are not superior animals who are in charge of everything we are just part of this beautiful kingdom of different animals in nature and we are all just experiencing this this wonderful garden planet i like to call earth the garden planet and it's so so lush and if we just honor and and keep sacred things like gardening and and treasuring making a meal 
and and really feeling the essence of each thing that you're putting in your body and forget you know so many restaurants and whatnot where the food is not that healthy mm -hmm. and we we honor ourselves and we're rejuvenating ourselves too yeah yeah i've talked about that a lot you know that if i wasn't doing this here or you know i talk about if um if i won the lottery i guess a lot of people talk well i would buy this and i would buy that and i've always said well if i won the lottery you'd probably never see me again because i'd probably be in papua new guinea living with an indigenous tribe like you've done many many years ago and removed myself from modern society but i guess uh, as hard as it is to live in modern society um as you were talking about we have to find a way because we're the guiding lights we're here to try and inspire the rest of humanity to you know live by a different way to raise its consciousness i guess so probably not the best idea for me to win the lottery <laughs> well you know i've already done that i've already gone to live in you know third world countries and spent time just bathing in the luxury of doing not much but just enough to get by and having everything that i needed but being happy with very little and spending a lot of time with nature and waterfalls and at this stage of my life i am happy to do the work that when i was earlier in life i i didn't want to do a career i didn't even want to do that much art i wanted to just be and to be nature now i feel so connected to nature i could feel that way even if i lived in new york city which i did for many years but now i feel that it has raised my vibration to be in nature so much that my true role here is to like be the bell ringer the bridge tender to help people to embrace the other alternative besides being stuck or in fear and it's it's a joy to be in society and you know like we're getting ready for a trip we're going to go spend four months in bolivia and uh, other places in South America. My husband and I really love to explore, especially in Latin America. And we spend plenty of time in nature, but when we're out of nature, we're back here, we're, we're happy to participate in helping uplift others. Because it's really about, once you have experienced the oneness of love and consciousness, we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We want to read it to everybody we want to give it as a gift we want to help those people who are still suffering to realize that it it, it really is a mind shift and so it's it's a it's a joy and it's a it's an honor to help other people yeah very well said i know fantastic Tessa. Um, and just before we um close up here i wanted to know a little bit about this nude sculpture that you did that was a sculpture made of you isn't that correct oh you mean the civitas yeah the, the goddess of civilization is that what you're talking about yeah um, I know. yeah yeah well, it's 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 not new it's it's been in a public display since uh the early 90s and civitas you mean the one who's it's like this, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah okay so i was the model and the, uh, the artist who, who does only goddesses that she basically invents, they're not just old, you know, Aphrodite and Venus and stuff like that. She'll, she'll give a new slant, like a modern 21st century 
goddess. And she asked me to model because of my awesome, you know, yoga body here. I'm six foot tall and I have pretty well-developed muscles from having done yoga all my life. So it was a physical thing that she was attracted to probably first, but also because I'm a, lifelong, I'm a lifelong meditator. And so the energy that she transmits in Civitas is where we're going and did we stop yeah we lost the connection there slightly if you could just oh, there we go. Your step. yeah we, we we're so shocking yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we lost the connection. oh okay but you can edit it out or something or you just keep it all yeah yeah i'll, I'll, I'll see if i do obviously because i don't want to add it anything that you were saying oh okay so Civitas is the name of that modern goddess that Audrey Flack invented. And it's imbued with all the potential of our spiritual like evolution and what's possible in the moment right now and in the future. And so there's four, four different interpretations of Civitas. And uh, it's, it's at a crossroads of, of, of an industrial corner in South Carolina, Rock Hill, South Carolina. And it's very amazing because it's like sacred geometry. Uh, the, the statue is placed in such a way where there's this stunning four direction thing going east, west, north and south. And it's huge. I mean, each statue is like 35 feet tall. <laughs> so it's very imposing. And I feel as, as I've grown into my role of being a spirit author, artist, activist, that I have imbued the the meaning, the significance of what civitas really is. And maybe I have become more like what the statue is, you know, than I was when I was modeling it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think that you're 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 a living goddess. Um you certainly do not look your age and you certainly have this childish quality still at heart which is absolutely amazing and inspiring and so if anyone wants to see your work if anyone wants to see this uh picture of the statue where can they find you Tessa? yeah everything's on my website Tessa lord congratulations on getting my name right and <laughs> and, and my name is with one z t-e-z-a-l-o-r-d and isn't it funny that my husband and I had to change my name? There was no question. I wanted to be a Lord, Tesla Lord. And the podcast is Z Lord. And it, some rapper got in touch with me. He said, hey, man, I'm Z Lord. I said, I was Z Lord before you were born. <laughs> it was my first email address. <laughs> Z Lord, and you know this dude wanted to challenge me because it, it was such a cool name. I said, "No, nope, you can't have it. It's mine." <laughs> Fantastic. And I know that you do guided meditations and thing on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah, I do. I call them mind stillers. Yeah, so people can check that out, and I'll put them in the links. Absolutely. Yeah, and I do a lot of postings on all the other uh, social media things, and. And my books are all on Amazon. And uh, the newest book, when it comes out, I'll let everybody know. So they should join my email list and subscribe to my YouTube channel and all that good stuff we're supposed to say. <laughs> Fantastic, Keza. Fantastic. I want that shirt. I, I want you to send me your wife's shirt. 
Thank you for the post to you. Um, so is there, is there one kind of overarching message? We've probably talked about it, but is there one kind of overarching message that you could leave for people who are maybe looking for a bit of inspiration, who are maybe going through an addiction and, you know, not quite see the end of it or don't know how they're going to, you know, get out of it? Well, trust, trust in love, you know, trust is, is something that you have to earn and you have to not just be told to have it, you have to experience it. So just plunge in and, and trust that love is the changing game factor. Fantastic. Tez, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your inspiration, for your kind words, for just being you and being this guiding light in this troubled world at the minute. It, um, it's just so inspirational to see someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk and is still doing it all these years later. So I hope that uh, in the near future, whenever I reach your young age, that I'll still be doing this and still yeah. be so full of life and still be so child at heart. I'll be a thousand years old next week. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I, I hope that everybody who listens is just goes for joy. You know, joy is the way we came into this Absolutely. game of life. And it can be our main factor. Brilliant. Thank you, well, Zane. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> mm -hmm.